from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, beginning with verse number 19. Amen. 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 Thank you. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless us now. Strengthen us. May the written word be the living word in our life. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. At our uh, conference Thursday, Friday, uh, they made that announcement about one of the, the pastor of the young man who was pastoring the church. He was there, and that was the first order of business uh, that we took care of was uh, to pray for that whole entire situation. And uh, I thought to myself, you just never know. We take so much for granted. And we just kind of go through life in our basic little routine and out of nowhere. Uh, that family's life was turned upside down. Not just the family, but also the church, and uh, part of it's connected to uh, the community there at Cedarville, and a whole lot of people are impacted by that. So uh, remember them and others in prayer. Amen? Amen. How many of you know the movie A uh, Few Good Men? Everybody, who has not seen, I'll do it this way, who has not seen A Few Good Men? Anybody? Oh, cool. Reason I asked because that was my, my, my opening point. And as I was writing this out, I thought to myself, you know, there may be somebody that doesn't know this. So what I'm getting ready to say, they'd be like, I don't get it. But in that movie, A Few Good Men, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when Jack Nicholson is on the stand. And uh, Tom Cruise's character is basically trying to bait him into admitting that he had ordered a code red that killed this uh, young man that was in, in his charge. And as he builds up, and this is towards the end of the movie, as the whole point builds up, uh, Jack Nicholson is talking and he talks about all this stuff about we're on the wall and we do this and we do that and you enjoy the freedoms that you have because I'm out there, I'm doing my job and I do things that you don't know what I want to do. And then ultimately he finally commits it. Uh, Tom Cruise's character says, but did you order the code red? And he says, yes, I ordered it. And the line that I always stick out with me is what Jack Nicholson said to him. He says, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. And then there it goes into the head guy, the guy that was a judge, orders everybody out of the courtroom, and Jack Nicholson's character is carried off. In this context with Jesus, he's dealing with the Jews, and ultimately, I was thinking about that. He's really saying to them what Jack Nicholson's character said is that 
they really did not want to know the truth. We talked about it in the first part of chapter 5 where Jesus had just uh, healed this man that had been lying there by the pool of Bethesda for 38 long years. And Jesus just walks by. And of all the people that were there, Jesus says to him, take up your bed, rise, take up your bed, and walk. The place was packed with all kinds of people who were infinite and blind and lame and couldn't move. And out of everybody that was there, Jesus, as God, picks the one guy that had been there for 38 long years to cause him to rise up and take up his bed and walk. And then to see his response was, he really didn't come to a saving faith to God. Because later on in the account is when they were trying to figure out who did this, and especially who did this on the Sabbath day. It finds out, they find out that the Jewish people, the Jews that were in that religious group that were really persecuting Jesus, they find out that that man who did that is a man by the name of Jesus. And then we build up to where we are even today. Because in verse 18, it says, from that point on, they began seeking how they would persecute uh, Jesus. They began persecuting him, which meant that from that point onward, the Jewish, the religious people of that time were trying to figure out how to get rid of this guy by the name of Jesus. Because not only did he just heal one man, but they were afraid what might happen with all the other people as he was continually continuing to do that. And it was interesting to me that in verse 19, even though there is not a question asked, because there's nothing that states that they ever asked a question. But Jesus says to them, said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. There's not a question, but the implication is, because Jesus knows the mind and thoughts and the intents of people's minds. And earlier in chapter 2, I believe it is, he understood that what people were thinking, he already understood that they were thinking what he's getting ready to ask, answer to them. And he's asked, answering the question of, what by what authority do you do this? That you would even heal on the Sabbath. Don't you understand what this day means to us? And Jesus says, you know what, let me answer this. You really want the truth? I don't really believe you can handle it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. He is the truth. And he says right here, he says, uh, truly, truly, that the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father do. Jesus does nothing outside of what God the father wants him to do. Now, here's the interesting thing about all this. The whole section we're going to cover to verse 22. But everything that the Father and the Son does works together. What the Son does, the Father knows. What the Father does, the Son knows. And the Holy Spirit, they all three work together. And what Jesus is really trying to get them to see is, why are you so really bent out of shape? Don't you understand that I can do nothing of my own accord? I did not heal this man that had been lame for 38 years just on my own. It was all within the will of God, my Father. And he says, so let me explain something. Whatever the Father does, so do I likewise. Everything that he does reflects the intention and actions of the Father. Got that? They are one in essence. You can't divide God up. You can't say, here's God the Father over here, God the Son here, 
God the Holy Spirit there. They all three work in cahoots together. One God, but three distinct personalities that operate and function within the Godhead, but yet they do it all within the same framework of, of working together. And that's why he talks so much about even we in the body of Christ. We ought to be working together. We come from various backgrounds. We come from various places, and yet and still we make up one body. And the idea is that as God has designed it within the Godhead, we ought to be able to work the same unity and work together even as a church. The good thing to know about God is that they never disagree. They always work together. They are one in essence. They share the same mind. No one does anything on his own initiative. God, the son, doesn't automatically just come up and say, you know what, this would be a great idea. I'm going to heal this guy that's been at the pool for 38 years. He didn't do that in and of himself. He did it all according to the will of God, the Father. So what he's really telling me is, in verse 19 and 20, is I am equal with God. There's no distinction. Now, in our mind, and in, probably in, some, in the Jewish mindset of some of these people, they were trying to divide it up. But honestly and truly, Jesus and God, in this case, were working together. Now, notice what happens in verse 20. For the Father, he says here, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And by the way, just so you know, greater works than these will be shown him so that you will marvel. The Father loves the Son, and that word love is the word phileo. Not agape, but phileo. God loves the Son as a father and son. It's a warm, uh, beloved type love. It's, it's a love that I have for my sons and my daughters, and for even the love that you may have for your loved ones and the love we should have for one another. That's how God loves the Son, so much so that it tells us here in verse 20, he loves him, uh, he says he loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. That's a lot of love. That God the Father is showing God the Son how he operates. And what he does, he says, by the way, son, what you see me do, that's what you can do also. But then he also lets us know in the verse that not only are you going to do what I do, but greater works than what they've seen me do are they going to see done through you. You think we, we can marvel at creation? I mean, when I walk outside just a few days ago, our leaves out here on the church, was we had a couple of trees that were full. I come in yesterday, I go, oh, the leaves are mostly gone now. But a week ago, you could see the greens, I mean the reds and the oranges and the yellows, the majesty of God. When I step outside some nights and I look up into the sky as I'm outside, as you heard me say many times, with my trusty steed, my dog, on cold nights when I want him to do what he needs to do because it's cold out there. But I look into the heavens and I see the vastness of all that's up there, the stars. I marvel at God and his creation. I was telling the young brother with the little baby, I said, man, this is the best thing that has happened to you for the rest of your life. Hang in there. It's going to get better. <laughs> but it's also going to get worse, too. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great blessing. And just enjoy the time because time flies by fast. But I could go back when I would watch mine come into the world. And I thought about, man, if only God could do this like this. The first breath when they, <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. 
thank you. That, that cry comes forth, and you're just like, thank you. Then, then with me, it was like, I was counting. All right, we got two hands, cool. We got two feet, cool. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. I, I was like, so far, everything is, is, is good. And I'll never forget with my first one, Tyler, because he was like his grandpa, very fair skin. The nurse, the nurse was like, he's jaundice, he's jaundice. I go, no, he's not jaundice. <laughs> he doesn't have jaw. He looks like his, his grandpa looks kind of white, really. He's got a little blue tint to his eyes, but he's really black. But people who see him thought he was white. I said, he's fine. But the thing that threw me off was the, 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 carrot, red, the carrot orange hair. I was like, oh, my God, is this my child? <laughs> he was. But all those instances are, are, I thought about God and his greatness. God and his creation. I mean, to go to California or the, or the coast of the or the east coast or west coast and you see the ocean. And you just look out and you, as far as you can see is nothing but water. Speaks to me of God's greatness. I, I don't take any of this lightly. I like to watch every now and then. I mean, they show the eagles and how they just with one flap. Just all that speaks to me of God and his creation and how great God is. And yet. God the Father tells God the Son, you think, they think that's great. Guess what, son? You're going to do greater things than that. I don't know how you could do anything greater. But Jesus will. He says, for the Father loves the Son. They have that bond, that relationship. And he says, and shows him all that he, the Father, is doing. And then he says, and greater works than these will be show, shown him so that you will marvel. We're going to do greater things than this. And we're going to learn one of the things that he does is that even though the Father gives life, Jesus is also going to be able to give life. Because what Jesus does, and I believe it's chapter 6, he's actually going to raise somebody who was dead. Totally dead. Like a doorknob. Not moving. Not breathing. And they wanted to get on Jesus because they said, by the way, do you not know that he who you loved, he who you had a great relationship with is dead and you weren't here? Every time I read it, I think about it. They don't know who they're talking to. Do you know who you, you, you ever had that happen? You know, people start to, and you feel like, do you understand who you're talking to? That, they were telling Jesus, if you only had been there, wait a minute. With God, there's no limit in time and space. And with God, and with Jesus, all he had to say is, Lazarus, come forth. Now, you know how the old preachers would say it? He, was, he got to the mouth of the tomb of the grave, and he had to say, Lazarus, come forth. For if he had just simply said, come forth, every dead person that was buried would have come up out of the grave. At what? At the power and the sound of the voice of God. That's just how great the power that Jesus has, that he just speaks. All he told this man that was at the pool of Bethesda is rise, take up your bed, and walk. He didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to ask him to give him $25 or $50 or $100. He didn't have to ask him to do, do anything. He didn't throw holy water at him. He didn't say, well, by the way, let me throw some water at him. He didn't do any of that. At the sound of his voice, he told this man, who had been around 38 long years. I don't know about you, but 38 years is a long time. To wait for a moving of water, superstition, so that he could get up off of his bed and walk. But here Jesus 
in the relationship that he has with his father. Paul says, by the way, son, you're going to do greater works than these. They're going to marvel at what you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to take two loaves and uh, five loaves and two fish and feed over 10, 20, 30,000 people. Don't, don't you wish you had that kind of power? You know, sometimes you invite people over to your house and you look at the food and you go, ooh, we're getting kind of low. And you wish you could just put your hands on it and say, Lord, bless. And somehow whatever little bit you have stretches so that nobody goes away hungry. Oh, that'd be a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, most times when it starts looking low, you start thinking to yourself, okay, let me let everybody else go ahead and I'll bite the bullet. But you're all in a while hoping that they don't take so much that there's nothing left for you. And you watch people's plates and you start thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> Brother, you're taking a lot of food there. You know, do you understand? I may not get to eat because I'm looking at your plate. No. That's, that's the wonderful thing about God. God is, can take little and make a whole lot of. He says for, and I like this part here, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Jesus is the author of all life. When I watch my son and daughter, my sons and daughter come into the world, I thank the Lord that he is the one that controls all. You don't know what's going to happen over that nine, ten month journey. You pray that it's going to be all right, but you just really don't. You have to believe that God knows what he's doing and that whatever happens, he has it under his full control. I think about people who, who, who want to sue doctors for no other reason that the baby they get isn't what exactly they wanted. And I'm thinking, why are you suing the doctor? Yes, there are times that maybe they do some things that are right, but by and large, it's out of their control. They can only do what God allows, allows them to be. Amen? Amen? To blame the doctor if he didn't do anything wrong is wrong. But yet still, I like the fact that in verse, that verse he says, it is the father, as the father loves the son, the father raised the dead and gives them life. Who raised Lazarus? God, through Christ. And I was reading this, I thought to myself, in the Jewish culture, they really believed that the three keys that God had was three things. God had the ability to open the womb and give conception. That's in Genesis 30, 22. The second thing is God opens the heavens and gives rain. Deuteronomy 28, 12. And it is God who opens the grave and raises the dead. Ezekiel 37, 13. That one, Ezekiel 37, 13, and what Jesus is getting ready to do in chapter 6, speaks to the fact that God is the one that's going to be able to raise those who are dead. Not just those who are out there a block away or so from us over here in the cemetery. One day, if they know Jesus, they will actually get up out of the grave at the voice of the command of him. But guess what? God also raises those of us who are spiritually dead. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. Look, when you're witnessing to people, you're talking about, to people about the goodness and grace of God, you have to understand something. Dead people do not receive God openly. They can't. They're dead. You who are dead in what? Trespasses and sin. Hath God now is able to raise up into what? The newness of life. When you're talking about somebody about the goodness of God, they may not understand what you say because they are spiritually dead. 
I remember as a young person growing up in church, and we'd be sitting in service, and people, some sister or brother would get happy, and, you know, they'd be singing a song, and you're sitting there, and you're going, I don't get it. Why are they getting so happy? They're just singing. They're just talking about, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Oh, you brought me. And you're sitting there going, I don't understand this. Let me tell you something. Some young and some old. Just This is what they told me coming up in church. You just live long enough. You get down to life where you have no dineros, no money, and then you watch God supply. You get to part of life when somebody in your life gets sick, and you can't do anything other than but pray. You get to the point of life where you go into your job on Monday, and at 9 o'clock and at 9.05, they tell you you don't have a job. You live long enough where you leave your wife and your kids and you, you go out the door and you come back and somebody is sick just like, or something happens to them like happened to this young man with his family. You kiss your wife goodbye, you send your kids to school, say, hey, have a great day, study hard, be good, do what the teachers and stuff tell you. And you get a phone call that some idiot out there has now decided they wanted to shoot or somebody has now placed a bomb supposedly in the school and all of a sudden your world is turned upside down. You live long enough where you physically have some health issues, and the doctors do the test, and they don't know what's going on. You live long enough where all of a sudden in your marriage you hit a rough part. We're in love. We will love each other till the death, until death do us part, and we will never, we will always, I will always love him. Well, sometimes in life, he or she does not do what you think he or she should be doing, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't love him like I used to. You know, you'd be married five years, seven years, 25 years, 30 years, and when you married him or her, when you first got married, he had this, the six, six pack, <laughs> muscles. She was, pow. And you thought, you know, usually it's the first thing you notice is the physicality. It's like, Mm. And then you get married and things start dropping and things start sagging and then you get gray hair and then you, you know, there was one time you were able to walk like, like you had some zip in your step and now it's like, you know, all that changes. That's what they were, that's what they were saying. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. What? You brought me from a mighty long. You don't have to live long for the Lord to bring you a mighty long way. You don't have to be old for things not to happen in some of you young people's lives that you recognize that the only reason why you make it or the reason why you're able to be stay in school or is because God provided for you when nobody else could. So that's why you can say, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Why? You, Jesus, brought me. A mighty long way. Amen? That's another reason why you're here today. is because he's brought you from the cradle to the grave. I thank the Lord that I grew up in that era where maybe my older contemporaries didn't know all the theology of all the how, you know, they couldn't talk about the Westminster Confession. They couldn't talk about all these different things. But they knew who God was. 
And they understood one thing. If they didn't understand any of that, they understood one thing. God is able to do above and beyond what I could ever imagine or think. And they were not afraid at every now and then to raise up their hand, to do a little slide to the right and a little slide to the left. Not because they were, you know, charismatic and Pentecostal, but because they just understood Every now and then, you got to raise your hand. I mean, you gonna tell me you gonna shout for a basketball goal? Some guy, you gonna shout with LeBron James goes behind his back, does a 360, pow! <laughs> Somebody's gonna shout today when all of a sudden a wide receiver with a pass that they could not get jumps up and does this. When when was the Odell Beckham Jr. caught that pass in New York with one hand? Man, people were excited about that. That's great, but guess what? We serve somebody greater than that. And if we can shout for Odell Beckham Jr. catching a ball, or we're going to shout today, today when Cincinnati plays uh, tomorrow when Cincinnati plays Houston, or Green Bay plays somebody, and I watched Quentin and that, that interception, boom, he was gone. I'm like, go ahead, boy. I was happy for him. But let me tell you something. I know you were too. You were probably happier than I was. But let me tell you something, as great as that is, and there's nothing wrong in celebrating that, we ought to be able to celebrate who God is. Because when you get right down to it, the only reason why you have a healthy baby is because of God's grace and mercy. The only reason why I woke up this morning is because of God's grace and mercy. The only reason why I'm able to go from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, is because God's watching over me as I drive in my car. When I go to sleep at night, nobody yet has broken into my house. Nobody has yet dropped dead. Why? Because God's grace and his mercy watches over me. These people are messed up. They're questioning Jesus. Oh, you're doing say, why did you heal on the Sabbath day? Do you know that's supposed to be took? I get it. Yeah. And all Jesus is trying to say is, wait a minute. Do you understand my father works all the time? The fact that we are colliding with other planets in the universe is because God's holding the earth in his place. The only reason why we're able to say it's now 1215 today is because God is in control of time. And if he was not in control of all the things that he keeps going. The only reason why you're alive right now, two reasons. One, you're breathing air. And two, your heart's beating. Now, are you thinking to yourself, Beat heart, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart. Beat. If you do that, you can't do anything else because you got to spend your waking moments telling your heart to beat. But while you're telling your heart to beat, then you can't hear me because your brain's not functioning right, or you can't see because your eyes aren't working right, or you can't walk because your legs are. Well, guess what? God does it all in an instant and puts us together in such a way that all that functions together. Greater works than these are they going to be able to see in the life of Jesus. He is the one that gives life. He's the one not only gives us physical life, but he gives us spiritual life. If you're saved today and you know Jesus, the only reason why you're saved today is because God, one time in, in your life, you were sitting in a service or somebody witnessed to you and said, guess what? You need a Savior. Do you understand you are dead in your sins? 
And in order for you to become alive, you need Christ to come in by the power of the Holy Spirit and convict you of your sin. And then once you're convicted, then, you got, then your eyes are opened up and you say, guess what? Yeah, I get it. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, but I need he who is greater than I, who died on a cross for me. Who said, by the way, Byron can't save himself, but I can save him. And one Sunday morning sitting in a church for a whole lot of years. I'm like some of you. I sat in church in a little on the right-hand side of BNBC, maybe the third row back, and I would sit there, and pastor would be preaching. I'd be like, yeah, that's, man, that's great. I, mean, I agree. And then they did things like they used to back in the old days, Brother Greg. All right, anybody here a sinner, raise your hands. <laughs> we don't do that kind of stuff. We don't embarrass you. But back in the old days, anybody who does not know Jesus, who's a sinner, raise your hand. You're not going to just like, you know, here I am. You, you know, you just kind of go, you know, like, yeah, I'm here. You know. <laughs> At least that's what I did. I wasn't going, yeah, pastor, yeah, I'm over here. Over here, over here. And I sat there. And then what happened was the devil started dealing with me. I was in the sports back then. And at 12 o'clock, NFL Today came on. And the devil said, hey, you know, you really don't need to go to church. Why don't you just stay home and watch the NFL today? Get caught up in all the games and what's getting ready to happen. So I kind of went out and stayed. I couldn't stay long enough because the Lord was dealing with me. And then one Sunday morning, I woke up on one Sunday morning, got dressed, and in my mind, I said to myself, nah, I'm tired of running. I said, the moment the pastor gives the invitation, if there's somebody that wants to come to Christ, I'm coming. And he didn't have to say but three or four words. And I was up out of my seat, walked down the aisle, gave the pastor my hand, said, look, I, I want the Lord to come into my life. I want to say Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. And from that point onward, I've been going ever since. Never been to a Wednesday night service in my life. I didn't know what Wednesday night was about. But when I went, old man, brother minor, said, young man, would you read scripture? I'm like, I don't know. What's, you know what am I going to read? I said, pick everybody you want. So I just, I don't even know what I read, something. And uh, after that, been going. Read scripture, been praying, taught Sunday school. So like you were talking about Wednesday night, I was, teaching the, I was teaching the high school class, and I was in high school. I'm teaching my peers. And I'm sitting in service, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, is the Lord putting his, am I called the ministry? I didn't know what ministry was. I saw, I saw my pastor, and I'm thinking, well, no, maybe I'm just kind of, maybe because I think I want to be out there. I, I, I was trying to make, worry myself, was, was I glamorizing what he was doing? And just saying, well, he's such a great guy, I don't want to be just like him. Or is it that God actually had his hands on me? And so I'm like, oh, no, I, you know, no. Mm-mm. And the Lord said, no, I and putting my hands on you to do the ministry of the Word of God. And you find confirmation of your ministry in community. People who are called to whatever. And ministry is not just this. There's music ministry. There's sound music. There's all kind of ministries that can be done in the church other than right here. But you find out what you need to do in community. People who heard me teach. People, when I gave my first trial sermon... I never forget, back in those days, they didn't tell you how to do it. They just put you out there. 
He didn't say, okay, we're going to meet every Tuesday. With, you know, I'm going to show you how to do all this. I, he said, okay, you're called. He gave me two books, Preachers, Preaching and Preachers and Lectures to My Students. Read this. I went home. I read it. And he didn't say anything else for a long while, over a year or so. And then finally he said, okay, this is the date. You're going to preach a trial sermon. I like, what? And I never forget, I walked out that door, come down the choir box, and, I, and the place was packed. I mean, the place was full. I mean, I came out, because back then we came from the back and walked, and you walked down, and the pulpit sat. And I walked, and I went, whoa. <laughs> My heart, <laughs> I'm like, who are all these people? People who had never been to church in their life came that Sunday. <laughs> they came that Sunday and never returned again. So I don't know if I scared them away or whatever. I probably, you know, if that's what they do, then I don't want to be there. What I'm trying to say, when Jesus puts his stamp on you, when you've been raised from the dead, spiritually, you have something that God wants you to do. Don't be like the guy that was healed by Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. It goes away and does, we don't even know who or where you are. But be like all the ones that you can call up the role of, uh, of the role of God and watch people as they give their life to Christ. I by no means am perfect, but I serve a perfect God. Amen. Amen. The healing of that impotent man was an object lesson. Out of everybody that could have been saved, guess what? Of everybody that could be saved in this world, if you're saved today, just think God called you. Amen. You ever think about that? Of all the billions of people in the world, at one point, God looked down from eternity and said, I want him. I want her. What do we do with it? We ought to be living for God every single day of our life. I marvel at what God can do with a man, woman, boy, or girl that is able to give his or her life totally to the Lord. Amen? Question, are you and I that man, that woman? If God saved you, if God called you, if God has placed you into his family, God wants you to do something. He doesn't want you to just take up your bed and walk and go about your business. He wants you to be a witness for him and serve him all the days of your life. At the spoken, spoken word, the man was healed. And at the spoken word, somebody could come to Christ. Just at the power of the word. Father, we thank you for how you blessed us. Thank you for the power of your word. Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that if there are those in here today that at one point in time came to know you, I thank you that you have called them from darkness and placed them in light. Father, I also pray that there's somebody here who really doesn't know you, but wants to know you in the freedom and power of the resurrection of Christ. Make them who are dead alive in you that they might sense and know that in this world which we live in, we need to have 
a Savior. And who can save us? None other but Jesus himself. Somebody says, you save to the utmost. And Lord, we claim that by faith. Thank you for your saving grace. Thank you, Father. As we sang earlier, we want to magnify your name. We want to glorify your name because of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.